It's Mike, and I want to say thank you for checking out our little montage of segments featuring uh, the late chef Carl Ruiz. If you didn't know, if you haven't heard, where have you been? The chef passed away this last weekend. He was only 44, and he was one of the most amazing people I've ever met. I have to say thanks to Greg Hughes, Greg Opie Hughes, who introduced me to Carl, and we became fast friends. And Carl was someone I will always remember. You couldn't forget him. He lived with such joy in his life, and he also shared his life with everybody who wanted to. So now you know why we're all kind of bummed out that he's gone too soon. But Carl did make many appearances on the radio show that I do with Angie Austin, and we have gathered many of the segments, including the very first one, when Carl made an appearance to settle a dispute about soup and chili and stew and and all this stuff. He was just a joy to be around and a joy to talk to. Rest in peace, Carl. Again, here's his very first appearance on our radio show almost two full years ago. Welcome back to the Angie and Mike show. Uh, you know, this is the first time Carl Ruiz appeared on our show. Uh, it was a Tuesday, but we're going to play it on a Monday. So deal with it and remember our friend Carl Ruiz. You know, it's a, a Tuesday and sometimes Tuesdays are difficult days here on the Angie Austin and Mike Opelka show. Today is not one of those difficult days, Angie. Today no. is actually a really good Tuesday. Well, again, step back because I'm on vacation and you forced me to set up a radio studio in my closet. So good day for you is relative to the good day for me since I'm in Florida in a closet waking up in the middle of the night to do a show with you. But yes, I'm not bitter. It's a fantastic day. How about I make it a better day for you? Okay. All right. I'm going to, we have over the course of the two and a half weeks of this new show in its infancy, been introducing each other to guests from our old shows as we combine, as we do a yours, mine, and ours kind of a radio thing. Yeah. And I want you to meet one of the more interesting, intelligent, clever, and uh, helpful people in my life. He's a guy you may or may not have seen on uh, the Food Network. He's a, uh, I call him a celebrity chef. He's He doesn't really grab the celebrity title personally, but he's a celebrity. His name is Carl Ruiz. He's known as the Mad Cuban in some circles, but you see him on Guy Fieri's Grocery Games show as a judge, but he's also a great chef and a great guy. Carl, meet Angie. Angie, meet Carl. Hello, Angie. What? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Angry Cubans make me nervous, but you're generally handsome, so welcome. Well, the real angry ones got dispatched during the Kennedy administration. So uh, we're uh, we're kind of angry light right now. <laughs> he's he's the mad Cuban, Angie. It's it's sort of madcap. Is I think mad is short for madcap. Yes, oh. I, I like that. Carl's my go-to guy on all questions about the culinary arts. For example, when I needed to know how to cook a certain piece of meat. I will reach out to Carl, and he has changed my life when it comes to understanding some of the basic and simple rules for cooking and doing a great job with it. For example, Carl introduced me to sous vide cooking, which is putting 
any kind of meat in a in a plastic bag and putting it in a bath of hot water. Carl, I have to tell you, it has literally changed everything we do in our cooking at home. <laughs> and, and it's, Angie, a, it's a great trick. It's a great trick. And, and restaurants have been using it for years and they tried their best to keep it a secret. And they didn't because uh, the last season of um, the Gordon Ramsay show, Hell's Kitchen, they gave the final four contestants sous vide cookers as one of their finalists prizes. And they were so excited. So Angie, one of these days we'll talk sous vide, but Carl's here because Angie and I got into a, a little bit of a kerfuffle yesterday, Carl. Um, the top okay. of no, Trev you and Trevino got into a kerfuffle and I'm protective of him because he's like a son to me. And I felt you were being a big soup bully. And so that's the kerfuffle. <laughs> so, Carl, the story is what one of our millennial types who's a, an engineering and he's got the one of the best sets of ears in radio. Uh, this young man is misguided because he believes chili is also soup. And I believe soup is soup and chili is closer to stew. And so we need an expert. Carl, let me just interject because I have like a bio. And so I was on a website for a radio station. It says, Angie Austin um, is a mom. She likes puppies, long walks on the beach, and she likes soup. And I said, I do like soup. And then Trevino said, what kind of soup, Angie? Do you like chili? And then Mike went off the hook with that. Like, Trevino, you're young. Don't you know chili is not soup? It's not. It's not, and, 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 and Carl, I want your opinion on this, but Angie and I took to the people and we put up a poll on Twitter and Facebook asking people. Oh, those, those end up being accurate. Those work out well. Yeah, thank you, Carl. Thank you, Carl. All of them are his friends, by the way. His friends on Facebook and Twitter. Well, I like uh, I like the way uh, Mike. Uh, I like the way Mike words uh, his uh, his polls. He's like. Uh, uh, this guy says that chili soup. I think he's wrong. What do you think? Vote. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that I was leading the witness, Your Honor, but uh, I did say, is chili considered soup? It's a today. And I'm asking uh, well, Angie Austin. And, and before Carl rules, I want to tell you what the mob thinks, because this is the mob justice show here. Uh, 80% of the respondents said that chili is not soup. 16% of confused people think chili is soup, and 4% can't make up their minds, Carl. Right. Um, well, I think the 4% are right in, in one way, where it is that it's not a soup, it's not a stew. Uh, chili is its own thing, um, and I'll explain why. When chili started, um, the chili that we know, it started um, deep towards San Antonio, Texas, many, many years ago. And it, it was a Mexican recipe that they used to dry. They used to sun dry this beef and make it into bricks. And then these bricks would be sold to travelers and they would reconstitute it in a kettle. So a lot of people call it a stew or a soup but the problem is is they're using european um food uh words and european food customs 
to describe something that's very, very, very native um, to to America. You know, back then it wasn't Mexico or anything. It was just, you know, what it was. So um, it's actually either. It's just, uh, it's rehydrated meat and you would make a tortilla for a utensil and uh, eat it. So technically it's probably closer to a taco than it is a stew or a soup. Interesting. And How come uh, when there's soup of the day, though, sometimes it says, um, you know, uh, chili? And then secondly, you said this is like a Hispanic dish, has, you know, Mexican origins. I'm very hungry mm-hmm. now. Do angry Cubans like yourself also enjoy and make the, your own uh, flair, put your own flair on chili? Well, the thing is, is we all... Um, we all have in South Central and most of the Caribbean, we all have this, we all have chili. Um, it's just named different things. In Cuba, it's called picadillo. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it has little potatoes and olives. So this dish is very long reaching. But just because it's cooked in a kettle doesn't mean it's a soup um, oh, or a stew. All right, Carl, we have to ask, uh, do beans belong in chili? Because that's also a secondary <sighs> bone of contention among yes. some of the Cianatos. Yes. Um, traditionally, no, um, but they're perfectly oh. acceptable, um, because of the way, um, the economy goes in, in cycles, right? So when people get poor, beans show up. And then when people get rich, beans go away. Um, that's why Cuba's never got rid of beans. You know, we eat beans the whole time, but it's very important to realize that it's a, it's an economic factor in a lot of diets when beans start showing up. If you notice when France started having economical problems, economic problems, they uh, they created the cassoulet, which is a famous bean dish. But uh, yeah, I don't think they belong. I I don't like beans and chili, but that's myself. See, Angie, he's kind of a food ambassador and kind of a, he's a diplomat when it comes mm-hmm. to food, as well mm-hmm. as being an accomplished chef. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, a food diplomat. I like that. He's like speaker of the food <laughs> house. Yeah, he is. He calls himself the mad Cuban, but he's not really mad. He's no. as, he's quite congenial. Yeah, it's more like he's like probably an amicable uh, uh, Cuban and you're more like an angry Irishman. So we'll just switch the monikers around. But I enjoyed this conversation, but I'll still to my I'll take it to to, to the death that I'll just defend Trevino because. You know, that's what I do on the show because he's, again, like the son to me. And I like to I prefer to have a talented person run the show. And so sometimes I just go along with him to keep the peace. Thank you. Well, then Thank soup you. it is. It's OK. Soup it is. Hang up on this traitor to me. I have no friend. <laughs> Good day. You guys are great. Good day, Carl Ruiz. <laughs> Have a good day, sir. (laughs) Hey, hang up on him, please, Trevino. We're going to have some fun. I'm going to go have some chili soup now for breakfast. (laughs) Carl is, uh, as as I've said, he's he's quite knowledgeable, isn't he? He had the history of chili just at his hands right there. also Uh, knowledgeable of women. I like how he agreed with me at the end. My husband, same thing. And we are happily married, I might add. The next segment features Carl as our pick to be the new Wienermobile driver. This happened this year, and it's one of our favorites. Hey 
Angie Austin, Michael Pelka, you know, one of our passions is the kind of wacky news and Mike does the uh, news wheel and we, you know, choose different topics. And so I, I, I mentioned to Mike, I'm like, Mike, Oscar Meyer is accepting applications for Wienermobile drivers. And much like Michael Pelka always does to me, not only does he already know the story, he knows the person that he thinks will win the driving position. Well, I know the person who deservedly should be the first choice of the Oscar Mayer Wiener Company. Captain Wiener? Not, no, he's not quite Captain Wiener. He is, he is a, an actual chef, a, a, a classically trained chef, a guy with one of the best palates and the most street sense I've ever run into. So what a combination. And he loves hot dogs. Can I, can I introduce you to him, Angie? I have him on hold here, actually. I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion I've met him. And I have to be honest with you, he's one of the favorites of anyone you've introduced me to on the air. He's very charming. He is quite charming. And it's He'd very be a good Wienermobile driver. No, he would be the best Wienermobile driver. My buddy, my pal, and the great chef, Carl Ruiz. Hey, chef, how are you? Welcome back. What, what's going on? How's everything? Well, we want to be leading the charge. I know you have your own podcast with Opie and the Opie Radio podcast, and it crushes it on the in the wonderful podcasting universe. But we want to push the Carl Ruiz Wienermobile campaign on terrestrial radio. So uh, here we are to be your humble servants. Do you want to make a pitch um, to the Oscar Mayer people? I do want to. I do. First of all, I've eaten Oscar Mayer hot dogs my whole life. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought it was a vegetable. <laughs> and I'm a good driver. I've only had 37 major accidents um, <laughs> in my career of driving. Uh, what else? I know how to. I know how to parallel park. Oh, uh, the the mobile. I do actually. I'm Cuban. We learned very early how to park wieners, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's my favorite colors. Uh, you know, Cuba, we love the color beige, and we also love the color red. So I, I'm ready. And plus, I know how to cook, so I can make, the, I can make food. And hot dogs are easy. This is such a no-brainer, Oscar Mayer. And you mentioned something when you first posted this on your Instagram account and your, uh, your Twitter account, Carl Ruiz, you should, or Ruiz. Right. I say Ruiz because it's Ruizing when you're acting like Carl. <laughs> Living your best life. Um, you said that they're looking for a college graduate. Why do we need a college diploma to drive the Wienermobile? Yeah, why, Carl? Well, well that's the thing. I went, I, I don't know why. I think specifically they, they, they heard about me, and maybe they just wanted to disqualify me early. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, but I, I read that and I was like, I, I qualified everything. They needed someone to speak Spanish. I speak fluent Spanish. Uh, they needed someone that was funny. I know a lot of comedians. And, you know, they needed someone that knew how to cook. I know how to cook. I watch a lot of YouTube videos on cooking. Plus, I've opened a couple restaurants here and there. And uh, But then it said college graduate. And I was like, wait a second. If I, the only reason I know how to make hot dogs is because I didn't go to college. So it's kind of weird. So yeah. hopefully they'll they'll overlook it. Um, I mean, the only thing that uh, that I can't do well is probably math and spelling or history. 
or anything like that. But besides all those things, I'm pretty good at everything else. And may I, I'm going to raise my hand here because I'm unbiased. And something I noticed in right. the application, Carl, is that the hot right. doggers, as they're called, the hot doggers will be tasked with act- acting. And this is why I think you're actually good for this. They'll be tasked with right. acting as their own traveling public relations firm, organizing promotions and pitching TV, radio, and print media. So as you go town to town, getting these TV stations and radio shows to get you on. And I have to say, you are funny. And you also would know how to doctor up a hot dog in creative ways to make it appealing to even high-end customers or just the plain way with you know the ketchup and mustard and so I actually think you have skills that are better than just going to a school to be a PR or journalism or communications major blah 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 I think you're like you have a major right. in life a degree in life Wow, I could have used you years ago yeah, let me tell you <laughs> I could have used you <laughs> my resumes were like I like salt <laughs> I could have used you but, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope they picked me. I hope I sent my application, so we'll see what happens. Well, and, so, uh, you know, an application is one thing, Carl. You can fill out the forms to put your hat, your name in the hat to run for president, but you need to get the votes. So we need to encourage the people. The people need to be behind this. The people need to write to Oscar Mayer and say, Carl Ruiz is the guy. That's the matter. As a matter of fact, I would make you the admiral of the fleet of Wienermobiles because I'm sure there's more than one. And I would see you at the front of that leading the charge like the Wienermobile armada going through America, bringing Oscar Mayer wieners to everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, and, and then cleaning the Wienermobile is not beneath me also. Just to let them know. I think, you know, it's very, very uh, value added. I can clean the wiener. So do you, I think do you, that would help. Okay, I, I'm stopping you there. Do you live in the Wienermobile or do you go into a hotel? Because it's fairly good sized. I've been in the Wienermobile um, when I worked um, for Fox and KWGN. Uh, and when I worked at uh, Denver uh, TV station, they brought the Wienermobile around. And my husband, he was my director at the time, he too was able to tour the Wienermobile. But I don't remember if it was big enough to stay in. Do you live in that or do you actually get a hotel room? So, I, I mean, I'm only 5'7", so I'm just a little bit bigger than an Oscar Mayer hot dog. So yeah. I could probably just stay in there and protect the merchandise. So that's another that's another value added. we got like two minutes left. Carl has done something in the last few weeks that I think is helping heal America. What? Carl made these brackets where uh, he's encouraging people to vote for foods and beers so that we're not arguing about politics. We're arguing over our favorite chocolate bars, our favorite beers, our favorite whatevers. And Carl, you did breakfast cereals over the last weekend. And I got to tell you, I wasted a lot of time online voting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we had we got over 70,000 votes in 24 hours. 70,000. It was incredible how everyone just stopped what they were doing. And, uh, and you know what? It came out of, you know, when I, I was sick over the weekend and I'm, and I'm going through my Twitter feed and it's just everyone is outraged about everything. And it's just so, it's such a toxic, it's turned into such a toxic platform that I said, let, let, let's, let's remember what you know, makes us the same, not what, what makes us different. You know, and breakfast cereal and candy bars, 
no matter who you are. Uh, I mean, these are the last fabrics of America that we have that keep us all, keep us all together. Carl, I am dying to know the results. Uh, the the result was um, uh, what was it? Was it uh, Fruit Loops? Fruit Loops won. Okay. Fruit Loops won the whole thing. And it was Fruit, Fruit Loops, Loops beat the Fruity Pebble. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Fruit Loops was second place. It got destroyed in the final round by Cinnamon Toast Crunch. No. Destroyed. Oh wow. Nothing touched Cinnamon Toast Crunch through the whole thing. No matter, even breakfast cereals with marshmallows, which I think are royalty. Yeah, we couldn't touch Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Count Chocula went out in the first round. Frosted Flakes didn't make it out of the second round. I mean, there was a lot of upsets. I mean, there was a lot of people who were very upset. It's you know those Lucky Charms? They're magically delicious. She mentioned the little marshmallows. Did you know, Carl, that on Amazon and other places you can buy a bag of the marshmallows to kind of enhance your cereals with extra marshmallows? I actually know a guy in Georgia who sells them uh, by uh, by in bulk, and uh, and he sends them to me. He sends me twenty pounds of marshmallows at a time. <laughs> that's a lot. Unbelievable. So that's that they're would fill un- the Wienermobile, Carl. Marshmallows are very light. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> Mike, how do we vote for well, Carl? How do we support support Carl? <laughs> Carl your, your Twitter so, feed. So, let me is, okay. So what I did what I did at a restaurant with with these marshmallows is. I would soak them in heavy cream and then overnight, and then I would take that heavy cream and I would make breakfast cereal marshmallow whipped cream and I would put it on top of ice cream, and it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I want How do we vote for him, Carl? Tell us <laughs> your Twitter account. What's your Twitter handle? We need to hit you on. It's just my name, Carl R U I Z. Carl R U I Z. It's my name. There's a picture of me eating a sandwich. Um, which I will tell Oscar Mayer will happily change it to me eating a hot dog. Okay. Uh, I have those photos at the ready. Uh, I have a baby picture of me eating a hot dog. <laughs> make this Let's make it happen for Carl. Carl Ruiz, the mad Cuban, if you've watched the Food Network, but he's uh, a friend of ours. Thank you, Carl. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. So we went from the Wienermobile pitch for Carl as the driver, the commander of the fleet of Wienermobiles, to Carl schooling us on history and how Thomas Jefferson was the first foodie in America. This one's just amazing. Welcome back to the Mike and Angie Show. Yes, I know it's a Monday and we usually try and be positive, but we're looking back on my friend Carl Ruiz, the chef who passed away this weekend at the age of 44, a brilliant guy, a frequent guest on this show. And I want to take us back to April of this year when Carl regaled us with his knowledge on food history. Hello, Carl. What's going on, Mike? How's everything? Well, it's good, but um, I was looking over my This Day in History thing and my This Day in Food history, and I realized we're coming around the corner on Thomas Jefferson's birthday, and I remember in one casual conversation with me, you said Jefferson was America's first foodie, and I knew about the wine, but you're saying that he, he really was everywhere on the food thing, all over the place. Well, I... 
what people don't understand is is his love affair with certain foods uh, were incredible. Um, if you do a little digging, you'll find out that uh, he's basically the person that brought ice cream into the United States. What? How about that? Wow. Yes. He brought he, – he was documented writing and talking about ice cream 10 years before the first printed label for ice cream or recipe ever came from ice cream in the United States. He also was the first person to bring a ice cream freezer from France. So he was probably the first American to eat ice cream in America. That's amazing. And when you think about Jefferson, you, you think about, well, okay, we knew he liked the wine. And there was always um, a legion of stories about Jefferson's wine collection. But I didn't know about ice cream. And you said something else about uh, plants as well, vegetables. Well, he, he had one of the most extensive gardens um, in America at Monticello. And he, it, it all stemmed from his, his absolutely um, rabid appreciation for uh, European-style soups. He actually he took a break from all his politics to write uh, a little book that's called Observations of soup. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> he's probably by himself. I mean, he was the first person to actually plant tarragon in the United States. Wow. So there's th this guy was beyond a foodie. You have to understand that in American culture, he was the first person ever to write about macaroni and cheese. So we also he was the first person ever to introduce French fries into the United States, Parmesan cheese, and even champagne. Wow! So we have uh, uh, ice cream, which you could love him right. for that. We have Parmesan right. cheese, which uh, I happen to be a fan of fresh grated Parmesan cheese, um, right. mac and cheese. So Thomas, mac and cheese. he's the father of mac and cheese in America. Yes, I, and and it's unbelievable. For culinarians and foodies, he's your George Washington. He's he's number one. He's the guy that uh, that brought all this stuff. He couldn't get enough of it, and uh, he really believes his belief was uh, culture through food. So you know, he was trying to get the colonies more cultured, and, and at the same time, just he would come back from France, and you could see in his letters, he's like, "Hey, guys, enough with the stews. There's a whole there's a whole continent that's doing awesome stuff." You know, so he uh, he revolutionized what uh, the way that we approach food and, and was probably the first person, you know, to dedicate writings for it. He's, you know, one of America's first cookbook writers, technically. Well, that's amazing. Uh, just for ice cream alone, I have to give him huge props and for bringing champagne to America. I'm a fan of the bubbly. Uh, and I've planted, oh, yeah. I've planted tarragon and never known that the roots of tarragon in America were thanks to Thomas Jefferson. Do they do any of this at Monticello on the tours or in the uh, exhibits there? Sometimes you get into it a little bit at Monticello. I mean, they, they, they really concentrate on the wine. And it's funny, they concentrate on him, uh, you know, with the wine. But it was his least successful foodie project. And remember, he brought ice cream, which to me ice cream trumps wine, but a lot of people don't talk about it. He used to, basically, he kind of invented the cone in a weird way because he would start making it in the pie form. So they would make a, a wafer pie crust, 
like blind bake it and then put the ice cream and freeze it in his custom French ice cream freezer. And it was one of, when he had presidential dinners, it was literally no one could wait until dessert to have, uh, to have his famous ice cream pie. And then that slowly became into a cone. Oh, we, those, those uh, police aren't coming for you, are they? Uh, define coming for me. Okay, good. Uh, we're talking to my <laughs> my buddy, Chef Carl Ruiz, who's in New York City, hence the constant presence of sirens trying to get around Manhattan. Carl's uh, getting ready to open a new restaurant in Manhattan, and I happen to be a fan of Cuban food. And since you are the mad Cuban, that's the uh, culinary bent of this restaurant is it not oh yeah it's going to be it's going to be cuban it's going to be authentic uh no silly fusion food which i call <laughs> confusion food it's going to be uh it's going to be more uh, you know it's going to be if you want authentic cuban food that's where you go i mean i can't serve everything that's authentic because in cuba they used to eat horses and that'll get me in trouble but that's for another day <laughs> yeah well we'll talk about that when we get closer to it just th- keeping up with presidents and founders and diets etc is there a culinary listing of of the greatest american presidents or the diets of the american presidents because trump gets a lot of heat for eating his steaks well done and i have to tell you that's the my least favorite thing about him is the fact that he wants a steak to be pretty much shoe leather but are there any other presidential dining secrets you're aware of um, uh, I, I know, I know, I've known two White House chefs and the, and the, and the thing is, is, um, uh, how can I explain it? The, the richer the president, the simpler the food, the poorer the president, the more complex the food. So, uh, I know during the Obama administration, they were so enamored with organics and stuff that they had a couple issues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because they were trying to be healthy and. But, but believe it or not, a lot of the a lot of the White House and a lot of the, the presidents really eat very simple food and a lot of takeout, more takeout than you think. A lot of pizza and burgers because a lot of times it's late, you know. And uh, but the, it's a basically meat and potatoes. Trump, Trump, unfortunately, I think he's been rich so long, so no one tells him no anymore. So now he eats like a child. But <laughs> you know, it's tough. It's tough to watch, watch him eat sometimes. I know, I know. I get I get upset when I see a very well done steak and someone just pouring ketchup on it and then hammering away at it with a knife. But right, that's interesting. The richer the president, the simpler the taste. Ronald Reagan. Uh, today, a buddy of mine sent me a video of himself as a child meeting Ronald Reagan, and the president gave every kid who came into the White House jelly beans. Because he loved those jelly beans, and I thought, "Wow, you're you're so your observation is spot on." All right, Carl, I'm I got to get back to work here, but I love the history. One day, I I wish we could do a Thomas Jefferson dinner uh, somewhere, and maybe we'll do it over in Europe at that new country that was formed on Jefferson's birthday four, year, four years ago in Lieberland. Maybe we can get that done. Lieberland. I, I want to be the chef at Lieberland. It seems like a nice country. Well, you happen to know a cultural ambassador to the Free Republic of Lieberland. Maybe we'll talk to the president next time.
I would love to speak to the president, and I would love to do it. You know, I think I think, uh, I think uh, doing a Jeffersonian dinner. Maybe we should do something like that in the city before I open the restaurant or something. But I mean, if you ever get a chance, uh, look it up on the internet and look at Thomas Jefferson's collection of letters. It's called Observ- the Observation of Suit, and you'll see what a what a foodie he was, and how much he he uh, he contributed. To, he probably contributed more. Uh, in his life, than every hour, every minute of film that's on the Food Network, <laughs> he's probably done more just by actually. Bring, I mean, he brought Texas peppers wow. to Monticello. That's so am- all the strains of peppers in the North are all from Texas, thanks to him. That's amazing. His name is Carl yeah. Ruiz. You can see him uh, most often on oh, Guys Grocery Games, and uh, we'll run into you in the city hopefully soon. Maybe next week, Carl. Thank you, my friend. Let's do it. Be good, Ben. Take care. The last segment we have in our tribute to Carl Ruiz is uh, the last segment he did with us. And it's a segment from about a week ago when I called Carl and I said, hey, can we talk about the uh, impossible whoppers because of what I heard him say on the Opie's podcast? I went out and tried it and I thought it was just awful. So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper and I did. And Carl delivered as you would expect. The final in our tribute to the late chef Carl Ruiz, the impossible burgers. As we've been doing all morning, honoring our late friend, Chef Carl Ruiz, this was the most recent discussion we had about fake meats. Rest in peace, Chef. Well, I have questions about this plant-based burger craze that's taking over our country. In fact, plant-based proteins everywhere in all kinds of uh, protein varieties. So I needed the advice of a, a, a person who understands food better than anybody I know, my buddy, Chef Carl Ruiz. Uh, he is the guy behind many victories on Guy's Grocery Games on the Food Network, but uh, the owner, purveyor, head chef of La Cubana in New York City on 15th Street, between 9th and 10th, by the way, if you're in the neighborhood. Uh, Carl, I appreciate you carving out some time to talk about this uh, I'm going to call it a craze, but I might call it crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm going to start with saying it, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, um, have you've tried this stuff, right? Haven't you? I tried Impossible Burger. The first one I tried, obviously, was in Los Angeles when it first came out uh, two and a half, three and a half years ago. Really? I tried the Impossible Burger 1.0. Wow. Well, and the, it was awful. There was that. It be, was awful. There was Beyond Burger, then the Impossible Burger, and I got a feeling there's one called I Can't Believe It's a Burger or something like that. I, I, yeah, the Impossible Burger is probably the front runner. It was created uh, by a scientist in Stanford University. Really? A Stanford guy did it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, when I think delicious, I think scientist. (laughs) But uh... Absolutely. (laughs) Well, uh, yesterday I bought two of them, put them side by side. 
I, I went to right. Burger King and I got the Impossible Burger uh, Whopper and I got the regular Whopper. And I cut them in half and looked at them. And the regular Whopper, you know, it's beautiful. It's, it even was kind of a little pink on the inside. And I was like, wow, they didn't completely dry it out and flame it to uh, well done. And then I looked at right. the, the uh, Impossible Whopper and it looked uh, it looked like like a piece of cardboard. I heard you describe it with Opie as a sponge, and that's kind of what it looked like. Yeah, because that's basically what it is. It's a it's a it's a meat flavored sponge. <laughs> it's it's um you know when I, I'm watching the Impossible Burger as it unfolds and the Impossible Chicken and don't even mention Impossible Tuna, but what what it is is. The, the company's constantly changing its narrative. You know, at, at, at the beginning, it was, this is better for you. And then they find out, you know, it's got 14 grams of fat. It's got nine grams um, of carbs. It has half the protein of a regular burger. It has 16% of your daily intake of salt. Wow. Right? So then, so, and, and, and the best one, it's a GMO. So it's, it has genetically uh, to create the, the, the blood and all that. That's a GMO. So it flies in the face of everything um, that, that people are constantly preaching. You know, uh, eat healthy, eat organic. And at the same time, that same person's eating this mutant. And the only testing they did on it was they fed it to rats for 28 days. And they said, <laughs> and they said yeah, it's good. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm in New York City. I've seen rats eat everything for 28 days, and they're good. They can eat sheetrock for 28 days. <laughs> yeah, it's so ridiculous. So I think down the road, um, you know, I've I've had my experience with with genetically altered animals like uh, salmon, and they're not good. You know, the the end results are are not good. Not good for the body. Um, you know, we might be living in 2019, but our digestive system is from the dark ages. It hasn't evolved at all. It, it, it's, it's caveman level. So all this stuff that people are doing now, short term, you know, you make a lot of money. But long term, I don't think it's going to be healthy. I really don't. Well, I... And it's just and it's funny to me. It's funny to me how the same people that are, you know, uh, screaming at Monsanto for, for GMO seeds and and all the pesticides that go on stuff and, and all this stuff is the same exact person loving this stupid thing. So it's going, it's, it went from it's healthy to, okay, well, it's not that healthy. And then it went from, well, it's a, it's a great alternative to meat. And then they saw the nutritional effect and said, well, not necessarily. And now they're basically just hanging their hat on saying, uh, we're just killing less cows, which probably isn't true either. This is ama it's amazing to me. I picked up the uh, the package afterwards to read the ingredients because you really should read the ingredients of what you're eating. Right. And if you look at the Beyond right. Burgers, here, here are the main ingredients. And the first ingredients, they're all in importance, uh, order of uh, highest percentage inside. Ingredients, mm -hmm. pea protein isolate, which means they take peas right. and they extract uh, the protein from it expeller pressed right. canola oil not just canola oil expeller pressed refined coconut oil then water yeast extract maltodextrin and it's all this junk down there that and even uh, beet juice extract which i've heard they put that in there to make it look like that was blood coming from the burger right 
Which is right, and that and they mixed up the beet juice with hem, and hem is a is uh, a genetically modified soy protein um, that creates that wonderful spongy uh, texture, and which will probably make you blind in twenty years when we figure it out. <laughs> well, now this is the question. Um, we rushed into the whole vaping cr- thing years ago, a couple of years ago, and now we're finding out it's a terrible thing for us. How do we know this created protein substitute isn't bad for us in the long run? We don't know. And no one can talk to the 28-day uh, rats. No one knows where they are, <laughs> if they like it or not. But, but it, you know, this is the thing, you know, but this is the new food culture, right? Everything gets rushed to market. Everyone's creating solutions to problems that we don't have, and it's marketing. So, so I know I know very strict vegans. I wouldn't call them friends because I don't think they're normal people. But I know I, I know them. <laughs> I, I can have five minute conversation with them, uh, and none of them eat the Impossible Burger. Do you know why? Because the true vegans don't like the flavor of meat. Oh. Right, it's out of their cycle. So. They made it so realistic that it doesn't make any sense. Like, I am 100% okay with a natural uh, bean burger or a vegetable burger because you're, you're getting somewhere, right? You're, it's healthy. Uh, it doesn't have salt. It doesn't have, you know, uh, scientific binders in it. It's just vegetables in a patty or, be, or legumes in a patty. That makes sense to me. And I can appreciate a very good vegetable burger when I have one. I'm not in the business of eating science projects. You know, that, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. If it has no nutritional value, if it has nothing except, uh, except buzz, uh, I'm not going to be part of it. Well, you brought, I'm not up, be part of you brought up a really important point. Uh, the vegans and most vegans I have a brother and his wife who are vegans, and they haven't consumed. Hear that. Uh, it's a very long discussion. Uh, Thanksgiving must be a thrill. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm never at their house for Thanksgiving. Let's just put it that way. But, you know, they don't remember or appreciate the taste of meat anymore. It's they're turned off by right. it. So these companies have created something and they've tried to make it taste like meat. So the vegans, their biggest market isn't going to buy it. And the people who like meat are going to take a bite of it and say, this doesn't taste anything like meat. I read one review in the Washington Examiner that said it's worse than a knockoff designer handbag. And I was like, wow, absolutely. That, that's absolutely spot on. I took bites of both of mine, of the regular Whopper, and it is reliable. The Whopper's pretty darn reliable. And then I took a bite right. of the uh, Impossible Whopper, and it's just, it has a terrible smell, and the, right. the, the texture is awful. And I took a bite and a half, and I gave up. I threw my hat in the ring. I said, or I, I threw my towel in the ring and said, I'm done here. I can't eat this. So Burger King, you get an F from me on it. And judging from what Carl Ruiz has said, uh, it's a fail, too. So let's talk about something that's not a fail, Carl. The restaurant. Okay. La Cubana. Yes. It's happening. Yes. And uh, people, people should go if they go to New York. It's on 15th Street between 9th and 10th. It's uh, right there by the Chelsea Market. And you're not open Sundays yet, but you're entertaining brunch? Yes, we're going to do brunch. Uh, we're, we're, I'm testing recipes right now. We're going to bring in the Cuban sandwich. And you know how 
people hate me because of my whole Cuban sandwich debacle. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. And uh, yeah, we're, so we're getting ready for brunch. It's going to be live music. Um, and, you know, people are going to really, they're going to drink a lot of sangria in the morning and uh, we're going to watch what unfolds. I need to get myself back to New York on a more regular basis, just for the Ropa Vieja. I just, I need Ropa to come Ropa Vieja, empanadas, <sighs> drinks, and live music at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is going to be good for the soul, I'll tell you that much. It's a beautiful thing. Carl Ruiz, thank you, my friend. We appreciate you. Thank you, brother. All right, thanks, Paul. Thanks for calling.